0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, October 13th, we are studying Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 24. Now that Israel has entered the promised land, the Lord has his people set up a memorial to remind them of how he led them across the Jordan River. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: It's going to be back on sharper iron.
0: Pastor Zimmerman, as we get started, give us some context. We looked at Joshua chapter 3 today, and yesterday Pastor Poppy reminded us that really chapters 3 and 4 go together, that that we really need to hear them together. So uh, what, what should we know as we prepare to look at this text?
1: All right, yeah, so... Our chapter numbers are always a little bit artificial. Um, so sometimes you have to wonder how they got assigned exactly, because sometimes we would, you know, some of, some of us might think like one holy event might want to be one chapter, you know, give put it all in one chapter. That's not what happened when those chapter numbers were um, installed much, much later, much, much after uh, the scriptures themselves were written. But the Jordan River crossing really kind of fits um, all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 in what we call the book of Joshua. So you have the details uh, given about what the Israelites are going to do. So kind of chapter 3 tells you what is going to happen uh, as the Lord reveals to Joshua how this great number of Israelites is going to get across a river that's actually in a flood stage. And, and some of our listeners are probably familiar with our rivers and flood stages. It's, it's like, you, you know, you don't know exactly where the banks are anymore because they're, they're covered and, and usually in a flood stage, you know, the, the river is going to be very um, fast flowing. Um, there might even be debris in it. And it's like, that's the last thing you want to do. Is step foot in there. Uh, but the Lord has revealed to Joshua that we're going to be able to get you across this river uh, because I, the Lord, am going to do something great for you. I'm, In fact, what I'm going to do, it will actually exalt you, Joshua. It's actually going to be a way That Joshua's position as the the leader of the Israelites is confirmed, it becomes another way that the Israelites see the Lord's action being used for them, and it kind of sets itself as a bookend to another water crossing that was at the very beginning of their journey out of Egypt into the Promised Land. So what we're going to be looking at in chapter 4 is the actual crossing being completed, and then an interesting uh, instruction that the Lord gives through Joshua for the Israelites to have a way to always remember this great, powerful, divine action that the Lord took for their benefit so that his people could actually take possession of the land that was promised to them. Hmm. And so that's kind of where we are in this. So, so the details uh, from our last episode kind of gives you the instructions of what they're going to do, how this is going to work, how the River Jordan actually is stopped by the Lord. And now in our chapter, we're going to look at today We're going to see um, how the Israelites actually complete this act that the Lord assigns to them, and then how they also do something uh, significant to remember this act that the Lord helped perform for them.
0: In the previous chapter, in Joshua 3, verse 16, it did... It did say that the people passed over opposite Jericho, and so the introduction that you gave, I think, is very helpful, because we see just kind of the style of the book of Joshua in this, and you see it in other books of the scriptures as well, where something is said to have happened, but then the author will go back and describe in more detail certain things that happened in that event, such that, wait wait a second, I thought they crossed. Well, yes, but we need to find out more about that event, and so we're going to kind of back Backtrack a little bit to get some of those details, but by the end of this chapter, the people are all going to be on the other side of the Jordan River. So again, we need that full context so that we can see what happens here in chapter 4 and other ways that are memorializing what happens. So we are picking up the text, Joshua chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day for the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua the people passed over in haste and when all the people had finished passing over the ark of the Lord and the priests passed before the passed over before the people The sons of Reuben, and the sons of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About forty thousand ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. The Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's our text for today. That is Joshua 4, verses 1 to 24. All right. So, Pastor Zimmerman, in the first few verses, we we hear again the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So, we're we're thinking about the nation traveling over throughout this text. And the detail that we we want to first pay attention to is the Lord's command to get some stones out of the Jordan River. What's what's going on in these first couple
1: of verses? Okay. So, what the Lord is instructing Joshua to do is to establish ultimately a memorial to this event that the Lord performed uh, for his people now we're going to start seeing these details kind of um, kind of drip out in the text so we're, we're going to have first the instructions of uh, who's going to be involved with setting up this memorial and then you're going to have Joshua giving the instructions to these people who are going to help establish the memorial, and then by the end of the chapter, you're going to have the memorial set up, okay? So, so there's kind of a flow to it as we're tracing through the chapter. Because this is remembering an event that the Lord was doing for his nation of Israel— and of course, the way Israel is often referred to are uh, they are the descendants of the sons of Jacob. You know, remember, Jacob gets that name Israel in uh, Genesis. Uh, that becomes kind of the second name by which he's known. And his sons uh, are the patriarchs of the various tribes that, that constitute this nation. So it kind of it may be a little bit of an analogy um, in, in our nation when we, when we talk about like the 50 states being the constituent uh, groups of the United States. Mm. You can think of like the 12 tribes being kind of the constituent uh, entities of this entire nation that, that is known by the name of its patriarch Jacob, who's, who's called Israel. Uh, Because this is an event where the Lord was bringing this entire nation, a a nation to which uh, he had made great promises, including um, when he tells Jacob to go down to Egypt. The point was they're not going to stay in Egypt, but ultimately they're going to return to this promised land, to this land that Jacob had initially possessed in part and the Lord is going to bring that whole nation back. So as the Lord is performing this action that brings his promise to completion, he is now going to have representatives from each of the 12 constituent tribes take a stone out of this river where the crossing happened and that's going to be involved in setting up the memorial that will commemorate this event.
0: Hmm. All right, so the instructions are given from the Lord to Joshua in the first 3 verses and then we see a continuation of a pattern that we've already seen developed after the Lord speaks to Joshua now the jo- now Joshua speaks to the people and he's he's got these 12 men from the people of Israel. These were referenced in the previous text. In chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord had told Joshua, now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel. Here we're we're finding out what their purpose is. Uh, What does Joshua tell these 12 men to do as the text continues in chapter 4?
1: All right, So, so now what's going to happen is they are going to go into the middle of the Jordan River, and they're going to get a stone out from the now exposed riverbed because you all the, all the, uh, all the water had, uh, uh piled up in a great heap, as, as it's described in chapter three, right? It's, it's all, it's all been cut off. And so now the entire riverbed is exposed. That's why the people are passing on dry ground. So it, it, as we might see, if you see like a, a, a river, like in a drought stage and you, you can actually start to see the bed, um, some of our uh, listeners who might live primarily in the western part of the United States might see that a bit more frequently. Um, You'll see that often there's like boulders or, you know, stones of various sorts there. So where that Ark of the Covenant had been held up by the priests, that that now these representatives from each tribe are going to pick up a stone from that area, and they're going to take it out— of the jordan river and that's what they're going to use to make the monument that um uh, joshua has been instructed to do now of course joshua's gotten these instructions but if he doesn't tell the people what to do they have no idea remember it, it it's not it's not as if the lord like thundered you know the instructions out and everybody got to hear it uh there are times occasionally in the Scriptures where the Lord does something like that. Uh, it's not very frequent, but every once in a while we, we can find places where he speaks publicly like that. But most often he speaks uh, through uh, what we would call spokespeople, uh, whether that be prophets, um, in this case uh, leaders of the nation, kind of like Moses was, now Joshua was taking that role. So, So the Lord is speaking through... Joshua and now Joshua passing on the instructions to the people are going to carry them out
0: mm. all right so before we before we move on from these instructions you, you you're describing what the bottom of a riverbed might look like and you use the word boulder and in, in the text it, it says to take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder so I'm, I'm just curious what what you think pastor Zimmerman in terms of how how big should we picture these stones when we try to imagine this scene? What what, what are you picturing in your mind?
1: Oh, when, I, when I picture it in my mind, you're, you're probably going to be looking at something that might um, might resemble. I, I don't know. Uh, it, I know in our church here we have uh, like a water softener, and you've got like those bags of uh, water softener salt, right? Okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, normally, yeah, I mean you you kind of pick it up and you. And you kind of set it on your shoulder so you, you can carry it. So probably kind of more or less a um, – maybe even kind of a rectangular sort of stone. Uh, it would be, you know, of course, at the bottom of a river, it's being um, eroded, of course, because the, the water is flowing over it. But probably something like that. Okay. Uh, at least in my mind. That's sure. what we probably look like.
0: Well, that's I mean, I just I'm just curious because it, it's hard to I mean, when it says over your shoulder, yeah, I, I think of a like a or a bag of of potting soil or something like sure. that that you throw over your shoulder. Something something hefty that one man can lift on his own. It does seem that they at least mm-hmm. they, they act to get they act on their own like that. So that it will create in the end a monument that can be seen that that will stand out that's going to be part of it so okay i appreciate that cuz i'm i'm just i want us to be able to picture this in our minds as much as possible so they they've got these stones from the river in verse 8 again with this pattern that we're seeing, the Lord has spoken to Joshua. Joshua has spoken to the people and now the people do what Joshua commands. So this is so far in the book of Joshua, this has been a great pattern. It's nice to see the people of Israel, not in the rebellion that we so often associate them with, but here they're actually believing the Lord's word. They're doing the Lord's word. Just as Joshua says, they take these 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan and they carry them over where they're lodging, they lay the stones down. So we haven't yet built this memorial that's still coming. But in verse 9, now Joshua does something that the Lord hadn't talked about before. He sets up 12 stones, and this is in the midst of the Jordan. So in the river, what's going on in verse 9? What's Joshua up to?
1: Now, this is one of those things that kind of presents a little bit of a mystery to us as we're reading it. Uh, because you kind of read it along. It's like, okay, good, good. All right, so we're going to get stones. Uh, one person from each tribe. We're going to carry it out. Uh, and so that's going to become a memorial. And now Joshua set up stones. Well, are these like the same stones that the the people were to pick up? Like as if, like, you know, Joshua... Like designated the stones, you know. It's like okay, these twelve right here. Um, well, the, the the problem is that's not um, really indicative of the kind of natural reading of verse nine because in, in verse nine it speaks about these stones that Joshua set up are actually still there apparently if you kind of read the end of verse nine. So, all right that option kind of goes out the window uh, when we think that way. Uh, Perhaps Joshua thought about making his own monument. Uh, That's an interesting idea, but, you know, we don't have an instruction to him to do that. Um, We could think maybe this is like um, where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to stand, almost as if maybe – Maybe Joshua like set up like some pavement kind of area. Uh, stone pavement. you're uh, using the using the stones from the bottom of the riverbed. and that's what the priests would have stood on. So it's kind of like a, a little bit of a platform kind of thing. I mean interesting idea, again, not necessarily definitive of uh, what happened. Um, but there's something to this where the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, in the middle of the Jordan river bed is marked and it it appears from the text that that site marking, uh, from the basis of the end of verse nine was kept there for a while. Um, you know, to this day, it's always hard because that just means from to the day that this text was written down. Right. Um, uh, or compiled or you know, published, you know, you know, however it's referred to. Uh, so it's like, well, I mean, is it possible that they're not there anymore? Sure, um, because it's to the day of, like, the writing. But as we think about this, though, as we think about this river crossing, we are talking about a divine act being marked both by the memorial that's going to be set up, and the very fact that you had the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. Mm -hmm. And all of us who are Christians, who think about the work of the Messiah, of of the Christ, we are always thinking of the actions and events that the Lord incarnate, the Lord in the flesh, carries out. And when we think of the times of Jesus and the events of Jesus and the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus, they are all tied to events, activities, words from the what we call the Old Testament, which we just call the scriptures that came before him. Yeah. And you really kind of think that maybe there's something about that the Lord had this spot marked. Again, a bit speculative, I will grant. But perhaps that the Lord had this place marked so that when he appeared in the flesh as the Christ, that this is the place where he would go. Um, When he kind of recapitulates all the Israelite history and, and is baptized, and he's kind of like the... the the human Ark of the Covenant, in a way, uh, of speaking. Mm.
0: That's the kind of thing that I would really, really like to be true. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) But
0: but as you said, we can't know.
1: (laughs) And of course, it's Yeshua who's setting it up, right? That's right. I mean, out of all the people who are setting it up, it's one who bears the same name, right? Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, would love it to be true, and this is the way that often you would see some of the early church writers speak about things like this, um, uh, which sometimes they seem to be maybe a little more in tune uh, with the what we call the Old Testament than sometimes we are. Hmm. Uh, which is which is one of the great reasons why we do the sharper iron stuff to actually sharpen our iron in the Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> that tells us uh, what the what the Messiah was going to accomplish.
0: Hmm. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, what a, what a, what a interesting, fantastic thought that the, the first Joshua would mark the spot where the second Joshua, the final Joshua comes and, and stands in the Jordan River when he is baptized and, and begins that journey leading, you know, the people of God of every time and every place into the promised land through his death and resurrection. I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's tons of, I think there's tons of theological truth to that. You know, we talked a little bit about this yesterday with the ark of the covenant being the mm-hmm. presence of God among the people and how Jesus being God incarnate, you know, he is the one who leads us. And so theologically, I think the the imagery is fantastic and as as pastors sometimes say that will preach, but historically and geographically and and even textually, you know, is that precisely what Joshua is doing with these stones? Huh. That's where we have to say that's that's speculative.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could just. I mean, it could be. I mean, I think there's a way you can read act, the actual text that, that that Joshua may have actually designated the twelve stones that the other people pick up. I mean, there, there there is a way you can read it as if Joshua had set up twelve stones, and the stones are there today. Not that they are in the middle of the Jordan River to this day, but they are at uh, the Gilgal place to this day. I mean, I think there's a way you can read it that way, um, but it just might be that Joshua decided to set up his own monument, too. I mean, mm. <laughs> I, I'm afraid we might not have a definitive answer
0: here. Certainly, certainly. And and that, you know, if, if it is Joshua setting up his own monument, he's certainly not out of line with other saints in the Old Testament who set up a monument you know on their own you can think of mm-hmm. for example Jacob at Bethel is maybe the one that sure. comes to mind first and foremost that they this happens throughout the old testament and and even what god commands you know is a, a something certainly that god does command elsewhere in the Old Testament to set up a memorial. So for Joshua to you know, to take this initiative, if you want to think about it like that, and, and to do it himself is not out of bounds by any means. And, and again, a number of, of ways of thinking about this theologically that certainly point us to Christ. So we'll, we'll go ahead and, and take our break there. That's a good place to stop. We've got plenty more to look at with this text. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking about Joshua 4 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, October 13th. We're studying Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 24 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we were talking about Joshua's monument in the Jordan River. As the text continues, again, we've got the priests standing there in the midst of the Jordan until everything's finished. So as long as they're standing there, the water's still piling up in a heap. They're still walking through on dry ground. We get a bit more of the description as to how that actually happens. Again, we've been learning different details about this event all along in the text. And in the middle of verse 10, we find out the people are passing over in haste so we get a little bit of information about the actual crossing and then about some of these you know the three trans jordan tribes or two and a half trans jordan tribes some more information about them take us into verses 10 and following
1: all right the biggest kind of thing is that uh to kind of begin with is like this river crossing which is being uh facilitated and, and run uh, by the Lord himself is not going to be a perpetual crossing, okay? So the Jordan River is going to go back to its natural state. The, the Lord has interrupted the natural state of the Jordan River so that his people can get across. Uh, but it's just to happen as long as necessary. It, 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 it's, um, it's a temporary thing. Uh, so once everybody's crossed the river... All the reason for the Jordan River to be piled up in a heap and stopped it has now come to an end. Now it's time to actually bring it back to its natural state. That's what's happening um, uh, with having the people not just, like, Dawdle and like you know, well, of course they don't. They don't have uh, cell phones and mobile phones to take all the pictures of it and things like that. But <laughs> there, it, there are not,
0: no uh, selfies taken in the middle of the Jordan. No River.
1: selfies <laughs> in the Jordan. That's right. But but there's no <laughs> gawk, there's no gawking either. It's, it's 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 okay. We're we're making a beeline across, and, and there and there should be um, really kind of perhaps uh, that kind of like energy towards it because they're going into the land that was promised them. I mean, they're not meant to be on the other side of the Jordan, uh, from where they were crossing. They're meant to be on the side of the Jordan where they are crossing too. Okay. So the people move in haste and they're moving all the way across. And then after that happens, what is going to now take place is that we got to get the group assembled, right? You might have, you got this kind of mass of humanity going across, um, but now we're going to have to get everything in its proper order again. And you see some of the description about what this um, proper order was uh, for the people. Included in these verses, uh, kind of verses 11, 12, and 13, are some information uh, data points given about, as you mentioned, two and a half tribes of the Israelites. One of the things that happened, if you read in the book of Numbers, and that's where we first encounter it. So so our listeners can go to Numbers chapter 32, and and they will read uh, some interesting things about the members of the tribes of Reuben and Gad. Now, these are two of the twelve. And what was interesting is as the people of Israel were reaching close to, to the promised land, uh, which is to be the west side of the Jordan, there were some of the Israelites who found uh, the territory and landscape on the east side of the Jordan to be very uh, conducive to them. And they wanted to stay there. And they kind of chose to stay there. But when you read in Numbers 32, there's a bit of an issue, because if you have two of the tribes staying over there and then add another half-tribe of of Manasseh, you've now lost uh, a significant percentage of your group, right? You know, uh, one-sixth plus... uh, yeah, you know, a half of a twelfth, right? You know so we got. I was told there was no math on this exam.
0: Yeah, no, so, no uh, math today.
1: <laughs> but you are losing a, a a portion. And one of the things that Moses when when, when he speaks to these people from the tribes is that okay, we can keep you over here. Um, we we can have you take possession of that territory, but. Um, If your staying on that side of the Jordan actually causes all your other brothers, you know, the other tribes, to begin to fear and and say, oh, we're not going to be able to take possession of the land the Lord promised to us, you're kind of complicit in bringing that about. Hmm. Um, So he kind of strikes uh, an agreement with them, saying, when we get to the time that we're going to take possession of the land— fully which is going to be on that west side of the jordan uh y'all are coming along with us until that land is possessed hmm. and then you can go back to to the territories that will be yours but but you're not just like dropping anchor there and say okay good luck to the rest of you 10 your heights or nine and a half or, or things like that so there's an agreement in uh Uh, outlined in Numbers chapter 32, which when we read the beginning of the book of Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, that Joshua, when he takes command of the Israelites, takes that leadership position succeeding Moses, he tells those same tribes, okay, this is the deal, right? Okay, Um, you are coming with us, until they, your brothers, also take possession of the land that is supposed to belong to them, too. Okay, then you can go back. So these groups, which are listed in verses 12 and 13 in, in chapter 4, are those what end up being called the Transjordan tribes. That's one of the ways they're uh, referred to as we um, discuss the Old Testament. And they are ready for battle, though. They're, they're ready in case their brothers, uh, the rest of the tribes of Israel, uh, will encounter resistance as they are making this trip across the river. They're ready to go. Hmm. Uh, and and this, was, this was, again, this was part of the deal. This was part of the um, covenant arrangement um, that you were not having tribes abandoning other tribes, right,
0: right, right. And what strikes me about the mention here again, because we've you know we've seen this in Joshua chapter one, is that the it is a reminder at this point in the book of Joshua that battle is coming. I mean, that's what it says in verse 13. So get ready because battle is coming. And yet it's, it's also quite striking that that really is, is taking a back seat for the time being and to see the faithfulness of the Lord in leading his people across the Jordan river. And then in in chapter five, as we'll look at tomorrow, how there's still more things that need to be done from a, a religious perspective before any battle can be waged it's just a—it's mm-hmm. a striking reminder how the Lord puts first things first. You know, he—he he wants his people to remain faithful to him first and foremost, and he'll take care of the—the the battle part as as we will see in the book of Joshua. So it, you know, you get that reminder of what's coming, and yet still the Lord keeps first things first for his people, showing them that he is the one leading them across. He's the one who's going to fight and and to drive out their enemies before him. It, it just at this juncture, it seems to to emphasize that.
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, it, it is that the Lord is is uh, giving the protection, um, but part of the protection that he is giving is also tied to his people abiding by uh, the guidance and instructions that he has given to them. It, 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 when they do strike, try to strike out on their own, and they come up with their own ideas of how they're going to do things, not going to work. Okay, uh, but as they are abiding by the instructions that the Lord has given, and given through the spokespeople, given through Moses and then and now Joshua, then things do go well uh, for the people.
0: So take us now into to verse 14, where the Lord exalts Joshua in the sight of all Israel. This was one of the purposes that the Lord had revealed back in chapter 3, and we see its fulfillment here.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there are some parallels to... Um, the life of Moses. Uh, if, we, if we think back in, like, the Book of Exodus uh, and, and Numbers uh, a, as well, uh, you know, in, in the wilderness, right? Um, there are times when Moses's authority, uh, his status as the leader whom the Lord had appointed, um, has to be reinforced. Now, sometimes it has to be reinforced because it's being challenged by um, ex external people. Uh, for example, uh, that, that's kind of set up with the, all the plagues and, and the wonders that are worked in Egypt. That, that, that's where we're, we're dealing with uh, resistance from those who are outside of the group, right? Uh, you know, Pharaoh and his people are not in Israel. Mm. Uh, so, so there's a challenge in that sense. And and that's why like the signs and wonders that the Lord performs through Moses helps um, uh, reinforce uh, both. Of course, the Lord's status as supreme, but then Moses as his uh, as his designated leader. But then there's also times when you got resistance from inside the group. Yeah, it, what I call like intramural uh, resistance, right? Uh, uh, that that would be like, oh, you know, we, we we don't want to follow Moses anymore. Moses is a lousy leader, right? Uh, he's getting us lost, or, um, you know, uh, his own family, right? Miriam and Aaron even get involved with some of it, too, right? right? And, 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 and what the Lord would do is through certain acts that would be allowed for Moses to be performed or performed through Moses— um, Moses' position as the Lord's anointed or appointed uh, leader was shown. In this case, you got kind of the same thing working with Joshua. Uh, and the Lord did say in uh, Joshua 3 Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And one of the ways that that lesson is going to be learned is going to be like, all right. You're going to have the same group of people who got taken through water by Moses—now, of course, it's the Lord working through Moses, right—are uh, now, 40-some uh, years later, right, being led through water by the person the Lord appointed, in this case, Joshua.
0: Hmm so the the person appointed Joshua gets more instructions from the Lord in verses 15 and following which again we were seeing this pattern and now we're we're drawing to the end of this actual event of the crossing of the Jordan River uh, what does the Lord tell Joshua to do how does he pass that on to the people in verses 15 and following
1: all right the lord's going to say all hey, right, the ark of the covenant is not the ark of the covenant isn't staying here in the middle of the Jordan River bed forever <laughs> That's that. That's not where it's supposed to be. So the priests who are carrying it, they're going to have to come out of that river bank, uh, riverbed, onto the banks, and that's what Joshua then tells the priests to do. And when that ark starts moving, you can you can kind of envision it in your mind. You know, they start moving. They're getting closer and closer to the bank, and then their feet start hitting the dry ground on the outside of the riverbed. And all the priests, the last ones, carrying kind of the back of the ark, right, on the poles, right? And, and they get up out of the riverbed. That whole purpose for the river to stop flowing has now been completed. It goes back to its natural state. And the Lord's people are now all safely on the other side of the Jordan. And it's kind of marking... That's when the Lord's activity, his direct action that was causing this temporary situation for the benefit of his people, now that action is coming to a close.
0: Hmm. All right. So the, it's kind of like when Moses
1: tight. did it with the Red Sea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the same. Again, there are all these echoes of the Red Sea crossing, all in the Jordan uh, yeah. crossing. So you know Moses stretches out the hand over the sea, and then it, it goes back to its own place. But in this case, you don't have like a whole bunch of drowned soldiers, right? That's right. <laughs> Which was uh, yeah, okay. You're not getting that, but 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 there are the echoes. The water was stopped. Now it's flowing again.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, and and the the fact that there are no drowned soldiers here. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. That there there is a, you know that that adds a different uh, perspective to this water event than say the Red Sea crossing because you know the enemies have been defeated and granted there are enemies on the other side of the Jordan, but this is. Uh, I guess this has that element of the Lord is fulfilling His promise and bringing you into the promised land. Finally, here that that just yeah. is that aspect is emphasized more in this text than with the the water crossing of the Red Sea. I think
1: it is. Yeah, the the, the Red Sea crossing is a deliverance. I mean that, that that's actually kind of in some ways we could almost even argue that's the freeing from the slavery. All right, the enslavers. Uh, one more crack at the Israelites, right? (laughs) Yeah, We let them go, oh, can't have that big mistake, let's go get them, (laughs) right? And and the Lord removes those enslavers. He gets his full glory over Pharaoh and his host. Mm. Where in this case, this is like um, the Jordan River is just kind of like, uh, in in some ways, uh, the portal through which the Lord is bringing his people through into the Promised Land. Um, it's a little bit different. It's not really rescue. Um, it's not rescue or deliverance um, as, as much as the, the Lord is making completely good on the promise that he had made. He is establishing his people in their new homeland. He's not getting them out of the place where they were stuck He's getting them into the place where they were always supposed to go. Yeah. It's like an entrance, right? In, in, in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's, I mean, it's what, a, what a what a wonderful way for the Lord to do it, as you said. Bookends here for their journey, and now it's like we're going to get started. Here is the the beginning, the new birth that began. 40 years ago, and now the Lord is bringing to completion through this water crossing over the Jordan River. So we, we find out the time of year that it is in, in verse 19 and 20, and then the actual setting up at a place called Gilgal. Again, so they're through the river now. Uh, what happens now that they're on the other side? What's the significance of the timing?
1: Okay. As if there weren't enough echoes of the Exodus, right? <laughs> As we're reading this, uh, the author makes it even more clear. Uh, so you can't miss it. I need to tell you when this happened, right? It happened on the 10th day of the first month, and, and all of us who have read the books of Moses are like, where did we encounter that before? I know we've heard that time marker at some point, right? And, and, and of course, some of our uh, real smart listeners will be like, yeah, 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 that's the Exodus, right? That's, that's Exodus 12. That, that's the Passover. That's when you were supposed to go get the lamb, right? And then you would have the lamb in your house for a few days, and then you would slaughter it on the 14th, right? I mean, it's like, yes, it, yes, exactly right. It, it is carrying that echo of uh, the Passover preparations. Um, and in fact, as we're going to see in our next episode, when we deal with chapter 5, is you're going to see... That the passover meal once again is actually held because it wasn't held during the exodus yeah you had the one uh the very first passover and then when they get into the promised land when they get into the land that they were going to possess that's when you would have that memorial meal um every year at, at this time so that's hanging over this entire event in a kind of similar way, uh, not identical, but, but, but not, you know, not disconnected. What Joshua then has the people do at Gilgal, which is the place where they lodge is now we're going to take those stones and we're going to set up the monument. Now, what that looked like, we don't know. Uh,
0: I was going to ask Were you they too.
1: all oh, piled together. Uh, are we thinking kind of like a Stonehenge thing? Like, you know, 12. In a, uh, we don't know. It, in some ways, it might actually be the idea of like 12 in a circle, though, but um, Uh, And and this has to do with a little bit of the Gilgal word, which if I remember Mm. right, is like connected kind of etymologically to like rolling and circle kind of things. And quite frankly, that, that, that would be one pretty decent monument. I mean, (laughs) I'll just say, naturally, we don't usually see 12 stones in a circle when you're just like wandering around uh, anywhere. Uh, uh, We have lots of stones here in Pennsylvania. And if you go up on, like, the Appalachian Trail or, you know, some places like that, you, you just don't naturally have 12 stones in a circle. <laughs> it, it's, right, it, right. It, just, it just doesn't happen, right? So that could be what the monument a- a- actually was, and I guess that would be sort of tied to the, to the Gilgal um, even kind of, like, etymology. Um, but the, the key thing with the monument, even if we don't know what it looks like, is that this becomes, though, when the people would see it, and if they ever returned to this site, they would be able to have a remembrance similar to uh, what they would have done every year in their own houses at the Passover. And in fact, kind of the language is that way, right? Um, you're reading along in verse 21, you know, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean, right? And and it's kind of like, you know, it's a Passover, right? Why is this night different than every other night, right? You know, you you have that kind of catechetical uh, question and answer uh, Mm -hmm. form of Mm -hmm. learning, Yep. which we still do even in our day, right? What does this yeah. <laughs> mean? right? You know, what is this? You know, um, your children can be told by you, right? And that's important. You shall let your children know, which means that story, the narrative, the details are passed from one generation to the next. And that's the way it works. That's the way the Lord's ways are passed down. One generation tells the next one. And that might be natural generations, parents and children, or it might be generations in the sense you've got new converts, new people added in, right? And and then they get to tell the subsequent ones. And they're going to say, you can say, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Here, this is where it happened, right? This is where the Lord your God dried up the waters. This is where you passed over, kind of like you got to pass over the Red Sea. But none of us are going back over between, you know, Egypt and and Arabia to, to find that spot. That's not where we belong. We belong here in this land, and this is where the Lord took us into this land that he gave to us. And now when we recount this, we're going to talk about the mighty hand of the Lord. We're going to talk about this wasn't a natural occurrence, right? We didn't wait until the dry season and the Jordan you could kind of like uh, wade through. Hmm. Uh, it was at flood stage, the Lord stopped everything, uh, it, it, it happened when we took the Ark of the Covenant into the middle of it, we all got the cross on the other side, then the Ark of the Covenant got carried out, and all the flood waters rushed back again. Hmm. But this was how the Lord got us into this land He had promised to give to us.
0: Hmm. And, and then at the very end of this text, we, we find out the Lord's purpose and his desired result and and even you know the asking by the children to their fathers i think is a, a part of all of this the lord's desire in doing this is that all the peoples of the earth may know who he is that that his hand is mighty that people would fear him and and by fear him we mean trust in him all of the i mean that's that's the old testament way of speaking about faith essentially and that's what the lord's up to here is to give his people faith, but also to call out to all the world that he's the true God so that they too would put their their fear and their faith in
1: him. It, it is, um, and the encountering of this ancient religion um, that would be recorded in books, right, um, would be read in all the cities. Uh, isn't that not right? In the... Um, uh, uh, like in, even in the Book of Acts in the Jerusalem Council, right? That that you know, uh, and part of the Book of Acts. I mean, you've got places where you even have Gentiles becoming kind of familiar with some of the accounts or narratives of this Yahweh God that this group of people worshipped, and I mean, He does some interesting things, right? Um, And 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 that is one of those things that that as these narratives are recounted and we talk about what these deities do. Now we're gonna talk about false deities, all right? When you talk about you know, you read like the narratives of like some of the other religions and what they're up to, what their deities are up to, and then you compare it to what Yahweh, the Lord God, does. And you see different character, different abilities, different purposes. The Lord uses His power to benefit people primarily. Uh, expressions of deliverance, right? He's not just coming down and using His power to do kind of whatever He wants and, and collect all sorts of stuff for Himself and like uh, you know maybe irritate some other group, you know, some other God or something. Yeah, no, no, He's got He's got a promise. He's trustworthy. He keeps those promises forever. He remembers the things, he exercises his power over the heavens and earth, the waters, the seas, everything in them, because he's the one who made them. All those kind of traits and things are brought forward as these narratives of what the Lord does are recounted. And that's not just for those who are descendants of Jacob physically. Hmm. It's also for these other nations that they might hear and also come to believe um, in this same Lord.
0: Hmm, That's right. With about a minute here, Pastor Zimmerman, help us to wrap up. How do we see Jesus in Joshua 4?
1: How do we see Jesus in Joshua 4? With a minute. Uh, (laughs) With a minute. All right. You're going to talk about he's going to be baptized in there. He's going to be the Ark of the Covenant in there, his presence. But ultimately, what is his presence uh, in the world to do? It's actually to take us Um, into the place, the new heavens, new earth, the the land that's actually meant for us. And so the crossing of the Jordan actually becomes uh, one of the ways that we poetically can speak about how Jesus brings us over into the world to come. We see that used in like Christian poetry and literature, hymns and things like that. Uh, There's with good reason we we say it. Uh, So maybe that might be uh, a good classical way and uh, keep the classic ways going in our generations as we talk about what the Lord does. Yes,
0: our Lord Jesus Christ takes us through the Jordan River and into the promised land of eternity with Him. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us today with Joshua 4, verses 1 to 24. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Always great to be a guest.
0: I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Joshua, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.